It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Hugo Tuvi. Welcome to the show, Hugo. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, Laban. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Hugo. We, uh, we were recently acquainted by another guest of the show, Nick Lee, and he thought you and I might get on quite well. And from the couple of conversations we've had prior to this, he's been pretty spot on. You're a fascinating, fascinating individual who I would say has been fed a shit sandwich on occasion, yeah. but the way that you've handled <laughs> it and come out the other side is inspiration to say the least. So why don't we just get straight into it and why don't you tell us a little bit about who Hugo Tuvi is? Yeah, no worries, Laban. I'll, um, I'll try and give the condensed version uh, without going into too much detail because I will be here all day. Um, but look, I'm a pretty normal guy from the outset, to be honest. I'm just a, a um, you know, I'm in, I'm in the army. I'm an army officer. I've been in for about 10 years now. And as we were chatting about before, I'm currently working in that sort of health and well-being and welfare space, which, you know, as you'll find out in a second, it's very close to my heart um, with what I've been through on a personal level. But I'm uh, currently living in Sydney, live with my lovely partner, Amber, who's a paediatric nurse. So she uh, does nursing for her job and then, um, you know, she also has been look, looked after me over the, the, the past, which, uh, which is, yeah, I'm very grateful for. Um, and I suppose, yeah, into that, I've suppose the last seven years had a bit of a health journey um, and it started when I was only 21. So I'm currently 28. Um, and when I was 21, I was in my final six months of four years of officer training to become a officer in the Australian Army. And that's at, in Canberra. And it was June 2013. Um, and I remember calling up my old man to wish him happy birthday. So it was June 18th. So that's why I know the date pretty well. And um, on a completely unrelated side note, I said, look, Dad, I've got this little lump on my right testicle. Uh, I've had it there for quite a while. And look, people probably ask, people ask me, how long have you, how long do you think you had it there for? And I, looking back, and I probably had it there upwards of 12 months, um, which listening to that, you go, that's crazy. Why didn't you do anything about it? But you need a picture like a little frozen pea that you have in your freezer, right? Like a little frozen, painless pea that's just sitting on one of your testicles. It's not like the most invasive thing in the world. It's just there. Some days I felt like I couldn't even feel it. Uh, I knew it was there, but I think I was like a lot of young, naive, 21-year-old blokes, um, you know, with the whole she'll be right attitude. And I didn't think much of it. And I was honestly hoping it would go away by itself. Um, But uh, anyway, in the space of sort of 24 hours after an ultrasound, after uh, seeing the doctor, 
I got told I had testicular cancer um, and and it had spread because I had put it off. Uh, so, yeah, that little pea-sized lump that I was uh, putting off and the painless didn't really affect my day-to-day life and ended up being this, this little cancerous tumour that had spread upwards to all my abdominal lymph nodes. Um, and, yeah, I was in for a pretty... Uh, Pretty lengthy, lengthy treatment and recovery from then on. Gee whiz. And how long was the, the recovery process? Yeah, look, it's typically, and this is, you know, part of my messaging is for all, everyone listening to this and for everyone, they should be aware of their body. Um, you know, you know, you know, you're normal. So if anything's, you know, not normal or things change, then you've got to be proactive with it and you you got to, you know, go to the doctor. Um, and for me, if I went to the doctor in the first instance, I would have had surgery to remove my testicle and that's it. You know, a week or so recovery and, and I want the rest of your life. But I, um, I, unfortunately, I did have to do that, have my testicle removed. I got a fake nut in there as well. Um, <laughs> which, well uh, there's definitely, a special name for those, isn't there? Uh, well, I don't know. I just call mine my, my fake nut, to be honest. But um, like it is pretty funny though because... It's it's funny. It's it's one of those things I look back on and I often say I, I I laugh because I was uh, I remember when I was with my uh, urologist and we were actually going through the the different selections of the fake nuts you can get, <laughs> um, which was pretty hilarious. Like I was literally feeling some like some are more squishy, some are kind of silicon based, some are imported from overseas, and then uh, I found it pretty funny when he actually said some blokes decide to get a bigger fake nut <laughs> for whatever reason. I think it's a an ego thing and. Anyway, I just told him to match it up with the other guy, so I had a bit of symmetry. Yeah, <laughs> which, which you know, that's all I cared about. I was just a, a single twenty-one-year-old bloke at the time, so I thought, well, if I'm in change rooms or whatever down the track, at least I can have a have a couple of agates there, and it's a bit more normal. Um, but yeah, so I had that surgery, but then unfortunately, because it had spread, I then had to uh, have about four months of pretty intensive chemotherapy. Uh, I managed to graduate still, so I still graduated at no detriment to my health. And as soon as I graduated with the bloody sword and the parade and got the pips on my shoulders, uh, literally six days later, I started um, <clears throat> intensive chemotherapy. And, you know, the picture a classic chemo patient that you see in movies, um, that was me. As You know, all chemo affects people differently and I had the bald head and the no eyebrows and the, you know, sick, skinny, frail, vomiting in the toilet. Like, that's how I... Oh, that's how I was. Um, so that was pretty tough. I was only 22 at that stage. Um, so, you know, when all your, all your mates are out partying and living the life of a young bloke in their 20s, you know, I'm in hospital for a one week, a couple of weeks off and <clears throat> that went on for four months and I was pretty crook. Um, and uh, it really knocks you around, this particular chemo. It's, it, it does smash you around. And unfortunately, that chemo didn't do its, uh, do its job in entirety um, and there was still some precancerous uh, signs in some of the lymph nodes so i have to have what's called a retroperineural lymph node dissection bit of a tongue twister there Gee whiz. Um, and it's a it's a pretty uncommon surgery and to put in perspective the surgeon at the time in adelaide who did this surgery had only done one two years prior to that and hadn't done one for two years so it's not a common surgery because usually chemo does the job for testicular cancer um so i have to have this surgery it was an eight hour operation about a 30 centimeter incision down my um, down my stomach and they literally open you up and put all your intestines wrap it up in a like sleeping bag and and go to town and take out all your 60 or so I think I'd around 60 abdominal lymph nodes and cut it through and serious chance of complications and all sorts of stuff but fortunately I woke up and 
you know, outside of a week in ICU and a few weeks in hospital, um, the, the surgeon did a remarkable job. So the, uh, from there, it was just recovery. It was building up that abdominal strength and getting fit and, and really looking towards my goal, which was to, to serve my country and go overseas on a deployment and, and do what I signed up to do and, and you know, live, live a normal life, um, which I got there. And after a couple of years of hard work and perseverance and getting through the, the challenges that comes with it, um, I eventually got promoted to captain, which was, a, was an awesome achievement, but even more so I got uh, medically upgraded, which meant I was fit for deployment. Um, you know, I was running my best 2.4K runs I had done. I was passing all the fitness assessments and I was pretty fit and healthy. Um, but, uh, and then I got the five-year clear scan, which was even better. So we're in, where are we now? 2018. I'm fit and healthy. I've just got given my five-year clear scan. I remember cracking open a bottle of Verve with my partner uh, and just celebrating, like kind of saying, this is, it's just almost great to feel normal. And you just felt like that cancer no longer defined who I was. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that was pretty short lived. Uh, and in a space of two months, I found myself back into the doctor's rooms with completely unrelated complications. This time it was my bow, playing up a little bit, bit of diarrhea, bit of cramping, just bit of discomfort. And thought, you know, what's the go here? And I suppose 21-year-old naive Hugo who put that little pea-sized lump off, at least I had learnt something. And as soon as it wasn't right, I said, nah, I'm going to the doctor here. And we ended up having a colonoscopy, which you're probably familiar with. Pretty simple day procedure. Camera up the bum, have a look around, you know, wake up, eat your little turkey sandwich, away you go. And it's all all pretty standard, except this one wasn't so standard for me. And uh, unfortunately, I got a call the next day from the receptionist saying, yep, mate, uh, Terry Holt, the doctor wants to see you to go to the results. And straight away I had this sinking feeling thinking, generally that's not a good sign. And uh, I remember going to the appointment with my partner and we, you know, as soon as you see him, you see this somber look in his face and you're like, fuck, that doesn't look good. And, and we, um, we sat down and he turned his computer screen around and he said, look, mate, sorry to say we found a couple nasty polyps in there and, um, unfortunately you know you've got bowel cancer and you're kind of sitting there like what (laughs) i'm 26 for a start i didn't think i could get bowel cancer i've just been told i was clear from my testicular cancer and you're telling me i've got a completely unrelated secondary cancer um so it was pretty emotionally quite a lot to take in and um and then i had to you know go from there you know surgery and the like but it was uh, it was pretty difficult um and I, i often say this one of the most difficult parts was and if people listening have have kids of their own, um, to actually call my parents. And I was living interstate and calling my parents. And I didn't want to alarm them when I had the colonoscopy and stuff because I just thought it was probably nothing. And I remember calling them and, you know, dad calls me Doog and he goes, you know, G'day Doogie, how's your day been? And, you know, I tried to hold it and I just kind of burst into tears and just saying like, I fucking, I just got told I had bowel cancer. And you just hear the voice, like the, their voices, it's just so so difficult as as someone going through it and it's actually interesting it's just the timing we're doing this podcast on the 6th of august is exactly two years to the day 6th of august 2018 when i was told i had this and i made this call to my parents exactly two years ago um which i think is almost quite quite eerie in a way but it was a tough feeling and it's something i often say to people something like cancer doesn't affect just the individual you know it affects family and friends and it affects everyone so 
it's um yeah it was a bloody difficult process and i've literally spent the next two years from that point until today going through what i've gone through and i'm very recently a couple of months ago i had my last surgery um and i'm cancer free i'm missing most of my well i'm missing my whole large bowel colon rectum um I'm also missing all my blocked abdominal lymph nodes. I'm missing my appendix. I'm missing one testicle. I'm missing part of my reproductive organs. Um, but, you know, as I'm sitting here today, I'm cancer-free, doing the best I've done in a long time. And it's, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, pretty awesome feeling to say that. So hopefully that was a, a condensed version of it, Laban. <laughs> well, I said, and I warned people at the start about the veritable shit sandwich, and I wasn't joking, Hugo. <laughs> literally. Mate, I've got to say... You know, they might have taken away all of those those physical attributes, but your your spirit remains whole. And you know, first things first. Um, thank you for your service, and uh, you know, congratulations for you know having the fight to to come through. I, I, I you know, as you tell that story, even though I knew you know what you were going to say, I, like it's just like the boof with the second one. You know, mm. um, bowel cancer, we had Stephanie Bansomer-Brown on the show, who's a bowel cancer survivor. You know, she was in her 40s. She was considered really young. We had, you know, Nick Lee, who, whose wife passed away at 41, 42, you know, all these young people. And then here you are in your mid-20s. Mm. And uh, it, it's just like, what the, what the fuck's going on here? And, I, and I'm curious to know, like, from a hereditary point of view, like you're obviously a fit guy who's been you know looking after himself as best he knows how do, do they know where this has come from it's it's actually interesting you say that because very recently i've uh, just had some genetic testing done so genetic dna testing with a cancer professor in, in sydney and we went to explore exactly that to say look well maybe there were some some faulty genes uh and i wanted to know that purely to see if i was more prone to what they group different cancers with so if i was it would have meant so more more prone to say prostate cancer uh, but more importantly to me if i have kids one day um you know so i don't pass those faulty genes onto them and you can through ivf and the like take take those out and um anyway i i didn't have any of that which i was quite surprised about and i was expecting maybe i did because it's like you said i've got no family history of cancer and you know growing up i've i've, I've lived quite a healthy generalized healthy lifestyle um there's nothing really that sort of said i should have got it uh i did um so you know whether you call it bad luck or whatever look i'm not sure but at the end of the day like you just mentioned a couple of people there just on this podcast who have been affected by bowel cancer uh, it is a second australia's second biggest cancer killer um that's just the truth with it in the latest research that's come out actually it kills more australians age 25 to 30 25 to 30 at the moment than any other cancer. Uh, and they're not sure why that is. There's links with maybe certain lifestyle dietary type stuff that they still haven't worked that out. But the data shows now that it isn't just an old man's cancer um, that it's thought to be. So look, I've got pretty healthy genes according to the, the testing, um, but uh, which is good. means I won't pass it on to, to my kids if I have it one day. It's just, uh, yeah, I call it, call it a bit of bad luck, I suppose, Laban, that I, <laughs> I found myself in that position. Well, look, uh, yeah, I think the way that you've gone about, you know, you've 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 set up this foundation as well, this Twenty Five Stay Alive, which which you are the founder of, um, which we can talk about in a little bit more detail in a minute. Uh, the the 
the blessing of your experience is that now you're in a position to empower and help a whole truckload of other people that wouldn't ordinarily have had access to you had you not gone through that experience. And I think it's really important for people listening as well that that cancer or any chronic illness isn't a life sentence. And when they, a lot of the, the, the other guests that we've had on the show as well in the form of uh, Professor Tim Noakes, Professor Peter Bruckner, Dr. Paul Mason, a lot of these amazing professionals who have are uh, doing a lot of work in this space and uh, people like uh, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, who I, I might have mentioned the other day to you, who's an American guy who's sort of like the world leader in cancer research, is that it, there seems to be a recurring theme that although there, there is certainly a genetic predisposition to getting stuff, you, you need a trigger. And so if, you know, in your case, thankfully, there's no, there's no whatever, they haven't been able to, you know, identify any defects in your DNA or whatever. Um, but if we can get to the root of what the trigger might be and whether that be lifestyle, stress or diet, which is it's always one of one or three of those things, right, um, then then people can be a lot more empowered to take their their health into their own hands. So it's not a it's not a death sentence. Um, it, and in some cases, it can be a real blessing. And, you know, I'm sure you have your down days like like anyone would. Um, but in the in the conversation we've had, you know, you've been bright, you know, upbeat, and and you know, really passionate to to improve other people's lives. So, you know, for that, we we really thank you, and uh, you know, you're doing great considering. So, so what's next for Hugo Tuvi? Well, yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Laban, and I appreciate that. And it, it is it is a good point. And look, I'm fortunate that I'm still here, right? And look, I've I've unfortunately, through my foundation, 25 Stay Alive, and the online sort of community I've had, I have made friends all around the world online who have been affected by cancers. That's good and bad. When I say bad, it's because some of those uh, people who are living with ASA terminal cancer and, you know, you're chatting one day and there's inspirational people putting these posts up and then a week later you, you see a post from their partner on their Instagram saying, uh, unfortunately, um, so-and-so passed away last night, but you kind of it really does get to me and you kind of realize, holy shit, like it's, it, it takes people's lives. Um, you know, we're all living at the moment, living our lives. And there are people right now who are, who are dying from these things outside of their control in, in many cases. Um, but then it also makes me almost more passionate to realize, well, that's why I want to do what I'm doing. I want to share my story. I've, I created 25 stay alive. I'm, you know, that's the reason I'm doing it. So then, not as many people die from these things um, because look, largely a lot of them are preventable, preventable. Um, and that's the biggest one. And that's something that, you know, you said where to now? Well, for me, it's continue to grow what I'm doing, continue to, to, to spread these important messages um, and not just physical health and cancer. And you touched on the mental health thing. Look, I have had, yes, I'm a, I'm a pretty positive, upbeat guy, but I have had some battles with my mental health. Absolutely over the years and you know i've been you know diagnosed with depression and and i have had some very very dark days um you know i've been in hospital my worst was when i was in hospital for about four or five weeks and i lost about 22 kilos and i physically could not eat or drink for about three or four weeks because uh, my stomach um it had been manhandled a few times with some emergency surgeries that the surgeon was concerned he, he was concerned he said look I, I haven't really seen this before and it is a waiting game. There's not, not much more I can do. Um, it's now up to the body. 
And so, of course, you're getting some dark days there. And that was my first real, real experience of proper, real depression of that kind of dark place, really cannot see myself getting out of it. And it's, it's not a great feeling. Um, and I think a lot, often people neglect that or forget about that mental health side of things. Uh, and that's what I did. I pushed that towards the side and thought that I always had to put on that brave smile. Um, and truth be told, when my partner would come home uh, or come visit me in hospital, I'd put on this brave face. How are you going? Yeah, I'm all right, blah, 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 blah. And there were sometimes as soon as she would leave and I was by myself, I'd burst into tears and I was really struggling. But I didn't talk to anyone about that because I felt that I was, an, I was big enough burden as it was with my cancer that I, I, I had to be positive for everyone else but that was at the detriment to my mental health. And anyway, I, I learned the importance of that over time uh, and then really became an advocate for talking about our emotions and for men especially to be vulnerable and to realise that there's no shame in seeking help. Uh, and that's a massive one, I think, that breaking that stigma to say, if you put your hand up to say, hey, Laban, mate, I'm fucking struggling at the moment and, and go seek some help, go talk to a mate, go reach out to the amazing services and support networks you can. And so that's something that I've, um, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about too. So look, from now on for me, it's just a matter of doing what I can uh, to, yeah, to, to help the lives of others. Um, and whether that's through my foundation, whether it's through the workshops I give, whether it's through coming on these uh, amazing, you know, inspirational podcasts like this one, it's, it's, I feel like as many platforms you can use to share these, these messages and these stories, it's, it can be powerful because as cliche as it sounds and it's the best bit of advice I got from someone and you hear, you hear it echoed a lot, but this was quite an influential person with quite a large sort of following. And he said, look, mate, if with whatever you do, with whatever you do, no, no different to this podcast or presentations, or he said, it doesn't matter if you're giving a presentation in front of one person or, you know, 10,000 people. He said, you've got to look at it in the way that if one person is impacted by your story or they actually make a positive change from what you're talked about or what you're saying, or you potentially even save their life, then if, even if it's one person, well, it's, it's all worth it at the end of the day. Like you've got, to, you've got to be grounded sometimes and think about that one person that you potentially, potentially could be saving their life. And I think that's every time I, I, I kind of ref, reflect back on that and go, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is to, to hopefully save a life um, and try save as many lives as I can along the journey. Mate, you're spot on. And, and here's something that I thought about uh, probably at some point throughout this year it might have been is that it's now my responsibility to share a message of hope having gone through my own journey, which was really different to yours, but at times – you know, reaching those those really horrendous lows and having figured out a way to come out the other side of it, my my duty is to share that with as many people as are willing to listen to it. And if you don't talk to someone because you're feeling horrendous and then you go on and, and self-harm or you do something drastic, it's fucking selfish in my opinion. And... I think I think suicide. I, I, it's, I know it's a really controversial subject, but I think if you just go and kill yourself, and you don't, you know, and you haven't done anything about it, I think it's a really selfish act because you're gone, but you leave behind a whole legacy of trauma, and you are affecting many, many people in a lot of cases through your 
through your inability to show some courage and reach out for help. And, and I know that might seem like a controversial statement because mental health is a really, really complex subject, I'm sure. But, you know, if, if I hadn't reached out for help, that's probably the direction that I would have ended up because it's a spiral effect and it's you either spiral down or you spiral up if you start reaching out for help. So it might sound a bit polarizing, but do something about it because it's your responsibility to get well and then be a contributing motherfucking member of society and inspire other people around you rather than being a burden. And you'll be, you'll be a burden if you don't do something about it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's an interesting one, and I, I definitely um, I see where you're going. I see and I respect your uh, your views with that, and you know, and but my, my views with it though, I think, and I completely agree though with the whole seeking help component. I think you know, if you, if you recognise you're struggling, and people who are suicidal or or living with a mental illness, generally they know that they have that, or living with that, or they they are having those feelings. Um, and it's you're right; it, it is up to to them to actually want help. They, they need to seek that help. And that's the first step. Uh, that being said, you know, there, there are people who seek that help. Um, and it, it, it's, it's not always just a click of a finger that they're going to be better. It can be a, a very complex beast. And, you know, a lot of people have been affected through suicide. Um, you know, I lost one of my best mates, uh, second year army training, um, uh, he tragically ended his own life. Um, and he was seeking help. You know, he was seeing psychologists, um, you know, I got him with, with a failed attempt at, at one stage. Um, you know, I was there to help him. People were there to support him and he still eventually ended his own life, which was tragic. And, you know, you then have the whole regrets about, you know, I could have done more, but I don't actually look at someone like in that situation as being selfish. Yes. He's left behind some serious pain with his mum, who I regularly catch up with Maria, lovely lady. And yes, pain with his friends. And yes, he has left that pain. Um, and, but by saying that I often think I've never been suicidal myself. I, yes, I've been depressed, but there is a big difference between being depressed and being suicidal and you don't have to be depressed to be suicidal. Um, I haven't been suicidal, but to, to, to understand if a person gets to that point, gets to that, that pain that they have to know that they're probably going to cause this pain. They get to that point where they, to them, it is the only way out. I think until you're in that situation, it's almost hard to understand. Like they almost don't have rationale thinking because they're in such a fucked up way yeah. that that's their only way out. You think about going, well, fuck, like how, like how much pain would they have to be in? And, and I liken it to, and I can't take credit to this sort of analogy, but someone told me this and it was a very sort of confronting way of um, comparing it. They said, well, picture you've just, um, you've just gone on a, a marathon uh, you've got an ultra marathon. That's, that's obviously like you like doing Laban and you know, you're, you're in the bushes somewhere and there's a massive fire. There's a massive fire and you're just like, you're stuck. You know, you're stuck in a fire. All of a sudden there's no way out. You're literally stuck in this fire, 360 degrees. You're like, fuck me. I can't get out of this. And you try and initially you're trying, you try and get ways you can get, you try to get on your phone. So you've tried a few things initially. It's still not working. You're like, fuck me, this is going to, and all of a sudden the fire gets closer, closer and you start physically burning burning alive and it, you would be in so much excruciating pain you've tried to get out of that fire but you're like fuck i can't get out of it anymore you're in so much fucking pain you're literally burning alive at that point at that point when you are burning alive and you're in so much pain 
I think a lot of people then and there will just want to say, fuck, let's, I just want to end this right now. This is too yeah. fucking painful. They don't think in that moment necessarily about, oh, what, what's it going to do to my family if I let this fire kill me? What's it going to do? And, and someone in very senior up in that mental health space who's had a lot to do with, with um, mental health, he likened it to something like that and said, you know, that can be what it's like to people who are, not, not everyone, but people who are suicidal and they're going through those, that deep, deep mental pain of it is their only way out. They don't think rationally. They don't, they just, that's what they want to do to get, to get out of it. So I look at that and go, I can see how now it's not always selfish. It's not always selfish. When people are doing that, I feel fucking sorry for people in that, in that situation. Um, so I don't know that's, yeah, that's just my thoughts on it. Um, uh, but absolutely agree with you about the seeking help component. Um, but then I just, it's such a sad thing when someone gets to that stage, because I'm sure if you backtracked it and when they, before they were suicidal, they wouldn't want to, they wouldn't want to leave their kids or family or friends and stuff with that. But when they then get to that stage of just before the incident, for example, they're almost a different person and they're in that much fucking pain that they, that's their way out. So anyway, that, that's kind of my thoughts with it. I think it's such, like you said, it is a complex beast. And I think until you are, you are in that, until you've been there and you've been suicidal and you've actually had, God forbid, a fucking suicide attempt, um, I think it's hard to actually really truly understand it. Yeah, I'll cop that. I will. I, um, and I, you know, sorry about your mate. And I, and I, did, did he leave any note or any anything behind to help explain what was going on? He did. And once again, I feel like this podcast has come at a very interesting timing. But um, his uh, his anniversary was um, was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I actually every anniversary I've got a note. He uh, he left a few, and I actually um, I did reflect on that note and it. It um, you know it's always very emotional to read something like that. He was only twenty two, um, and very early on in that note, he he, he says um, you know he talks about it's none of you, it's none of your fault type of thing. He wanted to make that clear, you know, don't blame yourself, and and it's quite a quite a very well written. He was a very intelligent guy, very thought out note, and um, he doesn't really explain why. He just talks about he did never thought he would get to this stage, but he has. Uh, and he, you know, life is beautiful and this, that, and the other. It was quite this very spiritual type, um, this note. Uh, and it's, it was remarkable, but basically very early on, he's basically saying that this is, this is what it's come to for him. He never thought he would be in this position. Um, and he loves everyone dearly to those close to him. <clears throat> and he yeah, left these, um, when he, when he did it, which is, um, which is pretty, pretty emotional. And to think that guy's 22, um, and he's written this such a like thought out it would have probably taken him which always gets to me it probably took him you know it probably took him weeks to just write that which means that he was kind of just tweaking it and it like he, there was no grammatical errors in it it was just this perfectly written note and you think fuck like imagine I, I could wouldn't know what it's like to start sitting there now and just typing away and that, that's you know and you've, yep, I'm happy with that end product and he had them all on his bed and then it was all all carried out the way he did it and it's just kind of like that's yeah it, it's very eerie and it's you know pretty full-on um but once again I, I don't understand i can never understand what he would have been going through through that i suppose well look i think um and and I, i'm sure him leaving the notes behind made it easier 
rather than if you just done it and just left nothing behind because at least there's mm. an explanation you're being admonished of any responsibility because there'd be a bit of guilt survivor guilt they talk about and and i suppose i use the language like it's selfish so that anyone listening that maybe dabbles with the idea of it that's not truly in that dark place just snaps into fucking gear and goes actually you know what like I need to do something about this now, right? So mm. that's probably the audience I'm targeting. Something I've thought about with suicide for a long time, because there's a lot of people that I know that I have thought were great candidates to take their own lives, given what they'd gone through and don't. Thankfully, I haven't been exposed directly to too many people that have taken their own lives, but I know plenty of people that that do know people. And, you know, like your father's, mothers with family and kids everything on paper to live for and i just wonder if it's if it's some kind of if it's some kind of inbuilt thing that human beings have evolved it's like a cutting off the evolutionary chain at that point like there's some defect and i don't maybe don't want to use the word defect but there's something inherently troubled or whatever that's not going to make great breeding when you break it down from an evolutionary point of view and i just wonder if it's like a turn-off switch and it's like okay right do you know what i mean so and that and that might explain how 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 rational these people are thinking you know they're in such a such a horrendous place in their Mm. own mind whereas if you look at your mate what he had going for him at 22 you know wouldn't have taken much to to get him into a place where he was flourishing. And so it's really complex, man. And we could talk about this stuff for a long time, I'm sure. Mm. Um, and, uh, but, you know, any, like we say, anyone listening to this, you know, like if you are starting to have those doomy thoughts, fucking do something about it. Do no, spot, something spot, about it. Spot, spot on, Labor. And that is, yeah, one bit of advice I would have from that and to kind of, um, to, to finish on that in a way is exactly that it's if you are happening to listen to this and you are in that dark, dark place that we've kind of spoken about. And this is one thing that, you know, if, if I do have one regret and I try not to have that regret cause you can't, it will just eat you up, but it would be to know what I know now. Cause shit, I knew nothing back then at 20 years of age. Uh, but if I knew what I knew now to sit down with Pete um, and just, just talk to him about that and go, mate, it's, I know you can't see it now. It's impossible to see it now, but promise me, I'm not making this up. Promise me. So I promise you that it will get better. And that's the biggest bit of advice that I have is that it will get better. And you speak to people who have, um, you know, had attempts, for example, and they've gone on, they've had families and they're now these, you know, people that are loving life and living life. They're the first to say it. They, you know, they can't see it at the time, but it, it will get better. So if you're listening to that, just know it's hard to see, but I promise you, and I wouldn't make these promises without, you know, believing in it, that it will yeah. get better. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, your, your experience, you go like you could have easily just taken the easy way out and thrown yourself in front of the, 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 the number six tram or whatever it was mm. after getting that second diagnosis. And I, I suppose rather than um, focusing on some of the not so fun stuff, what are some of the blessings that have come into your life as a result of the, these experiences? Spot on, Laban, and exactly. I, I don't like my story to be too sort of depressing because naturally there's going to have parts of that, but I also like to think it, it, it does have a bit of a positive side to it and it does have a feel-good side to it, which is, um, which, which is important to, to acknowledge. <clears throat> and, you know, the 
you know, the first one, I wouldn't have met my partner, for example, if it wasn't for getting my first lot of cancer. Um, so th- there's one we've been together for six years now. And, and that's something as small as that, whereby I was never meant to go back to Adelaide. But because of my testicular cancer, I went back to Adelaide, underwent all my chemotherapy, all my treatment. Um, and then I ended up living there for a few years whilst I was recovering. And then during that recovery process, you know, I met Amber. So uh, we've anyway, been together, been together ever since. So if you, you believe in those types of things, well, there's one positive, which is a pretty big positive that if I'd never got that, well, I would have probably never been back to Adelaide and I very highly doubt we would have, <laughs> we would have met. Um, so there's one massive positive and she's been by my side every step of the way. And for this second lot of cancer and my whole journey, she's always been that one who's been my sounding board and, and sort of been that pillar of strength to, to motivate me to get through it. So, um, I feel like it's, you know, absolutely has been a massive, massive help and a uh, massive silver lining, I suppose. And the other massive thing is it's interesting. I, no one chooses this path. No one sort of one day, you know, 18 when they're with their career, career guidance counselor at year 12, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to, go through a couple bouts of cancer, or, you know, or go through massive adversity, um, you know, so then I can get through it and then end up being sort of, you know, a positive motivational type speaker. Like no, no one sets out to do that because, you know, it's just one of those things that it just happens. But I feel like I've, um, I've almost been given a unique opportunity as a result of this, where it's like, yep, I've got it. It sucks. Yep. We've spoken about all the shit sides of it, but then it, now I'm in this position to go, Hey, I've kind of, I can either do the whole why me card, this sucks and, you know, the whole victim mentality and and yet I've had days like that or I can go, you know, fuck me, I've been given this unique powerful opportunity to go, I can use what I've gone through and what I've learnt through lived experience and that's massive, like lived experience is huge. What I've gone through to go, hey, how powerful would that be to use that and then help other people who might be either going through something similar or, you know, before they get to that stage or even just people listening to go, you know, fuck me, life's pretty precious and walk outside and look up at the, you know, the sun and just appreciate the small things in life. And I think that's, as soon as I identified that, it almost just clicked. I'm like, fuck, that's pretty powerful and pretty positive. Um, and to me, that's the biggest positive. And, and someone even asked me recently, would I ever take back going what I've gone through, what I've gone through, you know, if you could get in the DeLorean and, and drive back bloody, you know, five years and, and change that. And my answer was no, um, because I wouldn't be the person I am today going through that. And I don't even mean that to sound cliche. It's just, it's the truth. I've, I've learned so much about myself and I'm such a different person and I've, I've been forced to, to learn about myself, but I think that's a massive positive. Uh, and now I love what I'm doing now. I love, you know, speaking to you on the, you know, on a podcast like this or sharing my story on a, a webinar or giving a face-to-face presentation or, or even just talking to a random dude from a different part of the world on Instagram who's got a question about what it was like living with a, a stoma uh, and you're just chatting to him and you feel like, you know, how cool is that? Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think that pretty well answers that question about, well, no, I wouldn't take it back and I think, you know, my future from, from now to however long I've got on this, this world, I've almost found that why and I've found my, my purpose, um, which I'm grateful for because I think people spend most of their lives trying to find that, that purpose and, you know, why they wake up in the morning. And, you know, you sound very similar, Laban. You know, you wake up in the morning and you, 
you look at your calendar and you're, you're excited with some meetings you've got and you're excited with who you're going to talk to and you know you finish you know you, you get excitement out of all this stuff and I'm very similar uh, which I think is awesome because there are a lot of people out there who probably don't have that 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 same sort of purpose so yeah you know that's hopefully answers that because I think it's uh yeah that's that's where I am now mate it's a great attitude and, and you're right it's uh the blessings that come about through adversity, and this is part of my sort of my own mission statement that I came up with as well. I think it says through the blessing of adversity, I'm now in a position where I I know what my purpose on this planet is. And that mm. and that understanding what your why is is something that most people don't figure out before they die. And mm. you've figured it out early on. I only figured mine out in the last 18 months. And like the fulfillment factor that you get out of figuring this out, right? Whether it's, it usually doesn't pay a lot early on, but when you are passionate and driven and loving what you do, it doesn't feel like work anymore. And, and the benefit for me, right, from a selfish point of view, I don't think it's really selfish, but like I have been around people like you, for you know, for doing this podcast, and and I have learned amazing, amazing stuff that I ne- would have never picked up had I not put myself in this situation. And because of that new, you know, found information, I'm able to to pass it on to the next generation of people that that want to hear and listen. And if we had you know more people on the planet doing that more often, the world would be a really different place. Mm knowledge is power and, and it really, really is. And I, you know, like my, my interests are very diverse and wide and the guests have been very diverse and wide and, you know, you coming on and sharing your story is just wonderful. You know, like it, you, you reinvigorate me just to snap back into gear when you have those moments of, you know, mm. when you have a lull or whatever and, and you've, you know, fired me up to get, get excited about the other stuff I'm going to do. And I, and, one of the things that you are about to embark upon is something that's very exciting and a very close topic to this one in terms of the podcast behind the uniform. What's that all mm. about? Yeah, look, it is, it's, it's kind of is a similarish concept to obviously like becoming your own superhero. Obviously I see that, that Cape in the background, uh, which, which is great, but it's, um, but you're right. So behind the uniform, we've touched a bit on that. It, it's the premise is basically, you know, initially we're speaking to some athletes, right? So, you know, they, they wear a uniform as their day-to-day profession. They put on their uniform, whether it's a cricket outfit or, a, you know, a footy jumper, you know, that's their uniform that, that people identify them in that. Um, and the concept is that a lot goes on behind the uniform that to the naked eye, people probably don't get. And I can relate to that, that my full-time job, I wear, I'm in the army and I put on my army uniform and you walk down the road and people look at you and they will naturally have a perception of, of who you are in your army uniform. But I guarantee you they wouldn't know what's actually behind that uniform and, and what I've gone through and the struggles that I've had and, and, and who I am as a person, you know. So I feel like it doesn't necessarily represent who you are. Um, and that's exactly what we're trying to uncover is we're getting these guests on the show who are, you know, they're expressing their emotions, they're being vulnerable, they're talking about their mental health experiences um, and it, it's really uncovering that. So people realize that, you know, it's, it's okay to not only talk about that, but it's actually empowering to talk about that stuff. And yeah. the, the old mentality of, of, you know, what a modern, what a man is, 
that you know he can't cry or he can't you know share his feelings and you know it's all bullshit right it, it's it's all bullshit it's a man should absolutely be able to share their emotions and express how they're feeling and you know it's no different to if you're a ceo of a company in your uniform you put on your tie and your suit every day and you get to work and people perceive you as that successful ceo type of guy but a lot of research comes out that a lot of top ceos actually really struggle um, with their mental health and i think that's a big part of it because they almost live this perception of what people perceive them as and what they need to be and they don't feel like they're in a position to actually be vulnerable and to share their emotions and to put their hand up to say hey look i'm struggling a bit but that's okay because i'm there's so much help out there and if i get that help well guess what i'll be even better than i am now um it's not a death sentence if you go seek help or you know back in the day i felt like if you saw a psychologist it's kind of like oh shit mate are you all right? Like, you know, is everything okay? Like they think that, you know, you need to go on the buddy loony bin, but yeah. why is it that a group of mates can, you know, go to the pub and have a few beers and oh, where were you, you know, Bob, you know, I oh, just came back from the old physio, you know, I'm a bit tight in the old back. And I, oh no, people don't think twice. Right. But if you know, well, where, where were you mate? You know, you're a bit late to the pub. I just, you know, saw my psychologist. You know, it, it, people still might naturally be like, Oh fuck is he all right? It's like, well, no, that's fine. Like it's, it should be part of everyday conversation. It should, should be normalized. And, and, um, it's actually fascinating. My psychologist who I see every, every second week or every month and, and I'm actually doing really well at the moment. And she actually said, Oh, do you still want to see me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd, because I'm in a great place and I want to explore that more and why I'm in a good place. And I want to keep being in a good place. And I love speaking to you and I love every session that I have with you. And it's, you know, I go to the gym and see my PT to, to get fit, well, why can't I see a psychologist to keep my brain healthy too and to, to talk about how I'm feeling? And so I think it's slowly changing. Still think there's some work to, to work to be done. So behind the uniform, we're setting out to try and just to get these pretty, um, you know, influential people who once they take that uniform off, they're just like you and me. They're these guys who have a family or they've, they have their struggles as well. And, and it's just their avenue of just, being vulnerable and talking about these important conversations at the end of the day. Are you able to divulge any of your super duper guests coming up or is it all hush hush? No, no, not at all. Look, we have, uh, we have locked in a few, few great guests so far. You know, we've got um, Moses on Riquez, um, who's a, he's been very open, open with his, uh, he wow. won the BBL for the Sydney Sixers and he's an all rounder played cricket for Australia. Um, great, great guy. And he's recently been open about his mental health, basically saying, how people would look at him on TV or on his Instagram page and see this, you know, successful guy who's happy with this young kid and, a, and you know, baby Archie and his wife. And it's such a, wow, look at his life. It's the, the pinnacle and the best life. And he put this post up recently saying, it's not all what you see. He said, behind those smiles on my post, he's like, I've actually been struggling. And he even went on to say, there's been some days after a cricket win, he's, he said he's cried more than his baby Archie and he's just, he's been in such a dark place and he struggled so much. And, and he said, you know, he just wanted to open up about it and talk about it so that people who aren't a famous cricketer know that, you know, they might not be living the life you think they are. Everyone can struggle. Um, and so I just think it was very powerful. So someone like Moses on Riquez, um, you know, we're also talking to uh, Casey Conway. Uh, he used to play, play NRL um, and he, He's a gay Indigenous man, a, a proud Indigenous man, and he, um, he never came out when he was playing footy, and that's something we're keen to explore. And he's went through some mental health stuff as well that 
he felt that he he couldn't, and, and he, he's now an awesome, awesome guy who's been through some battles as well. And these are guys who I suppose they've been through it, and now they're in a really positive light. So it's it's kind of you know a bit inspiring. And, and I didn't uh, mean to, I didn't mean for that laugh to sound condescending. I just I just don't think I've ever heard the phrase "gay indigenous man" in the no, same sentence. It, Isn't that I great? Know. It is good, and that's why we we love it. It's kind of like well. Even that in itself is awesome to kind of, here's this proud, proud guy who's proud of his heritage, you know, proud to, to be gay. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm completely all for that. So, um, you know, my best mate, I just spoke about, it, unfortunately, ended his own life. He, he was gay. And I think that was probably one of the big, big issues he had back then. So I think it's fantastic now that even something like that's changed drastically in the last, even the last few years, let alone 10 years. So, um, so people like that who have just got this, um, just this story behind them, but ultimately behind all the uniform, behind it all, they're just, just everyday guys. Um, and they're the type of people that we're really keen to, keen to chat to. And there are so many awesome, inspiring people out there. So we're, uh, we're pretty excited to get into it and hopefully, uh, you know, we can, uh, yeah, you know, educate and inspire people along the way. That's awesome. Have you got any idea, time frame, where, how, the, how people can listen to it? Are you going to record yeah. it on Zoom? Well, depending obviously when, uh, when this episode is going to be released and to make, put it in sort of time perspective on, yeah, when, it, when, you know, hopefully when this is released, who knows, we could have episodes out there already, but um, we are going to be recording soon um, and hopefully we can do the Sydney guest. I'm living in Sydney, so, um, you know, I, I can still see people and leave my house unlike... Um, Victoria, which is obviously a lot more difficult. So it'll be a mixture of in-person interviews, uh, you know, at, in, in, in person at a studio. Uh, and also like we're doing now, uh, Laban, you know, with, with the power of technology and, and Zoom, which is also fantastic. So, um, which I think is awesome. You can speak to someone in their living room. But um, yeah, so it'll be a mixture. And hopefully when this is released, who knows, we might, uh, might be well on our way with episodes out there, but, you know, behind the uniform and we'll be on Spotify, iTunes, all the all the main little podcast apps that you listen to this podcast on, you know, I don't want to take away from become your own superhero, but I'm sure you can uh, listen to two podcasts, become your own superhero and behind the uniform. <laughs> well, like the great, uh, the great comedian said, um, whose name has totally escaped me. He said, be so good. They can't ignore you. Steve Martin. It was sorry. Oh, be so that. good. They can't ignore you. And that's, that's the sort of the philosophy and it's never about trying to take one audience away from another when it comes to the stuff. It's so important. And it's like, I think, I don't know what your thoughts on this. You go, uh, like, because we're sort of in, ensconced in this uh, whole arena a lot, we take for granted, I think, the fact that it's not actually as widespread as what we might think it is at times. You know, like mm. you step, you go across two suburbs and it's like the blokes, don't talk about the weaknesses, you know, all the stuff you're talking about at the pub. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's, um, you know, it's one, it, it, it is interesting. You know, I think, I think there is a bit of a shift. I think it is changed. I think there's a long way to go though. Um, but these having this, this avenue like podcasting, uh, or social media, it's pretty massive. Like you've got this uh, opportunity to connect with people from all around, not only Australia, but all around the world. Um, and I think it's pretty powerful, especially during, you know, the whole COVID times of, of, you know, fortunately, you know, I can't see overseas travel happening for a long time, for example, um, you know, regional travel, it's still, you know, 
restrictions in place for that. But to be able to connect with people through telling a story through a podcast, um, I think is pretty powerful. Um, yeah. Because yeah, people listening to this episode right now, whenever this is released, you know, they've they've taken that one hour or however long this will be to, to, to put time aside to listen to it and to share this conversation, to share this this journey and to to be a part of it. Um, which is which I think is powerful, very powerful. Whether they're driving to work or going for a run or you know lying in bed, it's um, it's just an awesome thing to to connect with people without even knowing you're connecting with them. I think uh, is really cool. Yeah, spot on. And and how can we find you, Hugo? Um, so look, it's uh, look. I'm pretty open, guys. You know, um, I do share some stuff on, on social media. So look, Hugo Tuvi. Um, on uh, on instagram i share a lot and and also 25 stay alive is my other little um pr- proud little uh, project that you know a bit of a foundation i started um, the number 25 it, too yeah 25 stay alive and i guess that the concept behind that is as you've you've heard over the last uh, last little bit i've gone through a lot um at a pretty young age in my, in my 20s and i think when i first shared my story i realized that Yes, I'm unique going through, say, two bouts of different cancers and stuff like that, but there are so many people out there in their 20s, 30s, uh, 40s who have, who have gone through, you know, whether it's bowel cancer, whether it's, um, you know, depression, whether it's, you know, suicidal ideations, whether it's breast cancer, testing, it doesn't matter. There's just so many different things and ways that people are, are impacted by these, these illnesses. Um, and it really got to me when, you know, I kept seeing like the campaign on the ad, for example, for bowel cancer, it'll all be about oh, when you turn 50, when you turn <laughs> 50, you get this screening kit in the mail. And I think that's fantastic because yes, there's a lot of data suggests that you are increased chance to, to do that. And yep, if you're listening to this and you're over 50 and you haven't taken your bowel cancer screening kit that's sitting in your cupboard, well, go take it. I think that's a, that's absolutely important. But what got to me is that there was no real campaigning or messaging out there for for younger, younger people, like your typical young adult, I feel like it seemed to be, um, you know, you'd be kids, children, um, which obviously, you know, it's very devastating when they get impacted by things like cancer, but then also older people. But then I, the amount of times I got when I t- tell people I had cancer, every time it would be a, oh, but you're so young. You're so yeah. young. You're so young every time. And it's like, well, actually, bowel cancer now kills more people from 25 to 30 than any other cancer. Testicular cancer is a young man's cancer, but it wouldn't matter. Every time would be, a, you're so young, you're so young. Um, so I think that the messaging there was why I started 25 Stay Alive was to say, you shouldn't be 50 until you start taking your health seriously and you start going after the doctor and you start taking these tests. You should be in that mindset from 25. And that kind of more or less that number 25 stay alive look it is catchy at 25 stay alive it rolls off your tongue but it more or less uh, encompasses or symbolizes a typical young adult so it doesn't matter if you're in your you know your teens 20s 30s it kind of symbolizes that sort of young adult uh, the quarter life really crisis important. the quarter well, it life. is and i thought but then even more so I've, I've still got this vision and this grand old plan to say that you know when you t- i've just been talking about when you turn 50 you get sent this stuff well when you turn 18 well, you're an adult, a legal adult, when you turn 21, that's obviously still, um, you know, when people kind of, that's their next sort of stage or the next milestone. And I think from 21, it seems to be like 30, 40, 50, 60. They're kind of the milestones. And I thought, how powerful would it be that when you turn 25, I feel like that's kind of your halfway to 30, 
you're no longer you know in your early 20s anymore i feel like that's when you kind of think actually i'm probably a bit more mature now i need to start you know being a bit more serious with my life and my health and all sorts of stuff right so i thought well if you're 25 imagine getting something in the mail no different do when you turn 50 but it is a let's say i live in bondi junction it's a um so i've just got a phone going off in the background there <laughs> Um, sorry about that. Um, let, let, you know, let's say when you turn 25 and you get something in the mail, it's a, a list of the, the GPs in your area. Because a lot of 25-year-old blokes or, or women in their 20s might not even have a GP. And I think it's so important to build up a good relationship with your GP. So something like that, but even more so, imagine having a complete blood count. I know you're a big one in you know what your blood levels and you're, you're looking after your health and tracking things. So imagine having a just a, a classic CBC, complete butt blood count or full blood count where you can take off to your GP and it's no different to when you turn 50, you get these tests and stuff to just, just to get in that mindset to just get a complete blood done to say your iron levels are low or your magnesium level. You've got actually some high inflammation. Let's explore that further. But yeah. just, to, just to almost be that trigger, the first step to kind of to get into that. So I thought, imagine... Like that's a, a goal goal, 25 style up down the track, you know, through government initiatives and all that to say, I'd love that to get a 25 style live letter in the mail. And it's all about, you know, going off to your GP, getting your bloods done. Um, anyway, so that's kind of a, a long-term vision, but for now it's just, uh, just basically creating a bit of a foundation and platform to, to get people aware that they're not invincible is the more or less ultimate message there. Well, man, I think it's a. I think it's. I don't think it's that ambitious because we had Dr. James Mukey on the show, the eye surgeon from another Adelaide boy, who shared with us some amazing um, statistics and some um, predictions that we'll spend a hundred percent of Australia's GDP on type two diabetes. So preventative medicine is going to have to be of paramount importance because the prevention is better than the cure by a long shot. So. I think I think you'd probably be surprised at how quickly you can get the ball rolling on this young Hugo. And no, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, I just want to literally jump in there because it's interesting you say that. One of my uh, brigadiers at work had something very similar. It's quite a powerful thing. He said, we should be focusing on the prevention of thousands, should be focusing on the prevention of thousands rather than the crisis of hundreds. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a really true statement to say that quite often we – you know, I get it, it's important, but we put so much resources and, um, you know, into to the crisis of people who are, who are at that far right end. But, you know, we should really be putting so much investment and, and resources into the preventative side of things. So completely, completely agree with that. And if you're a greenie and you're worried about carbon emissions, 10% of the carbon emissions globally come from the medical industry. So if you're sick, you're affecting the greenhouse effect. So do your part. There you go. Hugo, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your amazing story with us. For anyone that's interested in reaching out, you can find Hugo on his Instagram and jump on there, 25 Stay Alive. Ladies and gentlemen, Hugo Tuvi. Thanks, Laban. Thanks very much for having me. And just to finish off on a, uh, a quote, which I quite, uh, quite like, and I think it def- definitely sort of um, touches on what we've been speaking about, especially in that mental health state, uh, space. But staying positive doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time. It means that even on hard days, you know that there are better ones coming.
So I think that's a, a nice little sort of segue to, to close out the episode for, for people listening is that, you know, there's always going to be some better days coming if you happen to be sort of going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment. But Laban, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Amen. We'll finish on that. <clears throat> it's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.